Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Maybe even good night at the time that you are listening to this. We are back. It is Farm to the Show with myself, Chris Dickerson, Disabled List Hall of Famer, former Red, accompanied by longtime buddy, opponent, longtime teammate, dear friend, Mr. Paul Yanish, a man as deep as the ocean, lover of all things country, Tex Mex, and crossword. Um, we are back, and I appreciate everybody who's coming back this week. And uh, we're going to get right into things today, Mr. Yanish, as you know that we had our, coincidentally, our show today was about the rule changes and seeing what's happened this weekend, we are going to dive right into this and kind of sort out some of this madness that we've been witnessing. I think a lot of it is something we all kind of suspected uh, that would be an issue, but the first weekend of games, really seeing it come to fruition, uh, has, a, has a lot of people on edge. Uh, if you've been paying attention to Twitter, there's been a lot of stuff out there where, you know, people are are, are unhappy. Some really like it, but also saying that, you know, players are going to adjust to it at some point. And, um, you know, so I'm I'm excited to talk about it. I think it's a it's a huge deal with what what we're dealing with, with these real these changes. But also it's getting the, getting a little bit deeper into the player perspective of what that's like. And I think that's important rather than just having these, you know, talking heads talking about, you know, the fans and the attention span and, you know, shortening game time. There's there's a lot more to it. So I think today's going to be really inter interesting because it's just perfect timing from everything that I've seen in these different highlights throughout the week. And I think today's going to be great. Yeah, so just to echo kind of what, what you got going over there, Chris, the, the pitch clock thing presented itself pretty quick, right? And I think there's a couple of different ways to look at it. First of all, philosophically, I, I don't hate the idea of trying to make the game a little crisper, move it along a little bit. And and they've used it in the minor leagues the last couple of years, which it sounds like has gone fairly smooth um, after the initial buffer period of, of, uh, of the players making the adjustment. Th that being said, for me, I, I think it's going to be a bigger adjustment for the hitters. The, the pitchers got the ball in their hand. They, they can dictate it. And they, you know, with the pitch calm now, it, the communication between the catcher and the pitcher, I think, is going to be a little bit more streamlined. That, that That's going to take care of itself. But I do think that from an offensive standpoint, when you got guys that are used to walking up to the plate and taking their time and, you know, even if it being in between pitches, you know, having the opportunity to kind of step back and kind of regroup or, you know, reevaluate what's going on, those kind of things. I think it's going to be a bigger adjustment for the offense. And we saw it a couple of times this week. And I know I saw Manny Machado get into the box the first time, his first at bat of a game and had a strike called on him now. It's a spring training game. Obviously, he's going to roll with it. Manny's a veteran. Um, but but it, it, it does beg the question, what if that's the eighth inning of a of, of a game against the Dodgers, you know, and, and, and a game that really matters? And what how, how does he react then? And I think a huge part of it is going to be the communication between umpires and, and how they handle the situation, because it sounds like they're getting the opportunity to use some discretion on their part, which will be really interesting to see how how those interactions go in particular in some high leverage situations so i just hope that you know we're, we're going to go through spring training here and we're going to see how things unfold obviously we had the deal with the braves where the game actually ended you know on a on a time violation which to me is borderline absurd i don't think there's got to be some stipulations that 
that prevent games ending on a on a violation via the the clock was at seven seconds before he had the opportunity to look up. But um, I, I'm just curious to see how in real games with 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 some of the people with some of the players that people pay to come see play, you know, at, at the end of the game and in high leverage situations, how how are those situations going to get handled? And I think it's going to be interesting interesting to watch it unfold. Yeah, absolutely. So before we get into it, we'll just go over the, the quick wrap. Um, this weekend, the the Reds coming out of the box with with two W's this weekend, which is which is great, you know. And you know, we talked about the spring training preview last week, but still, when you're coming out and you can get two wins early on, um, you know, any win is a positive. That means wh- whoever you're putting in there is 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 doing what they're supposed to do, putting r- runs on the board, playing defense. Um, both spring training wins over the Giants and the Guardians, and you know, with uh, Matt McClain walk off homer to beat the Guardians four to three on Saturday. Um, you know, that's a, that's a good start in any regards. Um, so moving on to the pitch timer, we're going to, I'm going to give you guys the, the actual definition here of, of what the, of what the rule is. And so for here, we have the pitch timer. So just to recap for everybody, we have the pitch timer shift limits and the bigger bases, the pitch timer, the length of games will still, still be determined by innings, not minutes, but to create a crisper pace. There will be a 30-second timer between batters and then a shorter time limit between pitches. Pitchers will be required to begin their motion 15 seconds after receiving the ball with the bases empty or 20 seconds after receiving the ball with runners on base. If they don't, they will be charged with an automatic ball. Pitchers will also be limited to two disengagements from the mound, i.e. pickoff attempts or step-offs per plate appearance with a runner on first. The disengagements reset the clock batters meanwhile must be in the batter's box and alert to the pitcher by the eight second mark on the clock or else they will be charged with an automatic strike so looking at all of these we saw this happen at at every level here so we've had a number of different things happen just from the first ab of spring training colton wong coming in uh, first, a first at bat of spring training, Seattle game. The pitch clock, it's just, it's big, it's big, it's noticeable. It's very, it looks like a play, it looks like an NFL play clock to where it's big enough to where everybody on the field can see it. But it's just something about the 60 feet, six inches that it kind of gives you a little bit of anxiety, a little bit. And looking at it, it's just this, this countdown. And I don't know what it looks like from a hitter's perspective. I'm assuming that it's, it's got to be like out and left center. So the, so the hitters know as well, but looking at the pitcher and seeing this thing count down gave me a little bit of angst because as soon as that hit the mark, you're in the box, you're ready to go. And Colton takes this, this huge, you know, daddy hack fouls the ball off and then right back into the box. And what I've noticed is it takes away, like as a hitter, you have your routine. And I, I'm not talking about stepping out of the box and doing the whole Nomar thing with the batting gloves and the helmet and like the deep breaths. It's affecting guys to where you can't even do your the bat with. For you, I know you you are like a one, two, type of three, little wiggle or whatever. These guys are just getting back in and it's like tap on the plate and it's right back in the stands. Ball's fouled off, strike one, strike two. You know, you can't, you know, no stepping out of the box right back in ball is on, on its way. And this and it's, it's watching the kid from Washington as well. And granted, 
nobody is going to be better suited for this than Max Scherzer, who is a no nonsense, get on the, get on the mound and fire at you. And, you know, no, not taking, you know, no shit from anybody. And that K in 27 seconds yesterday, you could tell he, he's always been on top of it, but again, having the, having this, this, uh, this mandate in place, I think is, is, is still going to be something that the guys are going to have to get used to. Cause there was one particular, you could tell that this guy was in the box and he wanted to take like another swing or wiggle, but Max was already ready, ready to go. And that type of stuff is like, you don't have those couple extra seconds to really get that breath and to really do, you know, your whole, whole routine. And that's, what's most important. And th those were kind of some of the blaring issues. And then going back to the, the eight second mark, like you said, we're talking about the game ending. Uh, we had uh, another scenario uh, with James uh, Karen, Karen check, spell check me, pronounce pronunciation, check me on that. Everybody um, from Cleveland, where he had an automatic ball called because it didn't stop after a ball request. And so when we talk about the, the disengagements, stepping off, you know, calling time or a pickoff, this would technically calculate, this would qualify as a dis disengagement is getting that new, that new ball. And so I think, as you said, is a umpire discretion, but there are also going to be a number of things that are going to have to be discussed. They're going to have to be brought up. And Terry Francona is going to be one of those guys that's going to be highlighted as far as those conversations go and how to move forward with this. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to see like, how like like to your point how it's going to unfold but i i gotta believe that it, it's going to work itself out the the example with the getting a new ball I, i'm going to assume i don't know for sure but i'm going to assume that that was a little bit of a, a mistake on the umpire's part not resetting the clock you know there's all these new hand gestures and whatnot that the umpires are going to have you know relative to communicating with the press box there's those things are going to have to get worked out but um again going back to it I, and with regards to the max scherzer example i think it's it's it can be a tactic from the pitcher's standpoint. Like if you're, if you're grabbing the ball and ready to go, it, it, it can definitely be playing, playing a little bit of offense on defense, if that makes sense. And I, I think that we're going to see that more often and there's going to be some cat and mouse with regards to figuring out from a competitive standpoint, how you can use some of these things to your advantage both ways. Right. And, you know, we're going to get into some of the base running stuff, I'm sure, but you know, there's, the, the, the fact that you can only throw over two times, it, it, at least at the minor league level, has turned into a lot more base running opportunities with regards to steals and a little bit more gamesmanship with getting big leads and trying to induce the throw over and, and things of that nature. But at the end of the day, we're, we're talking about really high level athletes, right? And they're going to make the adjustments, you know, regardless of if you need that extra bat wiggle or whatever the case might be, there's got to there's 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 going to be that that adjustment deal but at, at the end of the day these guys are good at what they do they're they're getting paid to paid to play the game and and they're gonna they're they're gonna make the appropriate adjustments i just think that there's going to be some give and take initially and it it sounds like you know hopefully we can get it accomplished during spring training but it sounds like at the minor league level the first four to six weeks of the season kind of worked itself out and then there was you know the amount of violations were cut in half and you know it, it sounds like the players kind of kind of business as usual if that makes sense yeah absolutely and for those of you out there i mean i think there's kind of a visual visual aspect to it um when you're talking about getting in, in the box and in getting this and this the one thing if you want to subscribe to the youtube channel and check out our episode i'm in studio so paul as you know since we're here 
what I'm talking about is is when you get in the box and you have this you have this ability when you get in you tap in you dig in you get your helmet you do your tap and for a lot of guys like you have this natural rhythm that you get in and it could be like a one or a two or one of these and and then you're ready to go and what I saw a lot of this weekend was it was get in the box clocks going you're getting in it's like okay ready swing clock is on and you're back in the box and they're already you know seven seconds ready you have to be alert and engage there is no there's no more this there's no more and bryce harper is one of those guys which i'm really interested to see you know you come out you do the thing you you know do your batting gloves and then he does the the far the near off the cleat and then you know he's ready to go and so there were a number of bats yesterday where they was just get in the box bat on shoulder okay strike one all right guy already ball balls on the way and it's you want to like do the tap or get out and it's you a lot of guys are just getting caught in between of like okay maybe i do need one more wiggle maybe i do need this maybe i need to adjust my helmet and so i thought it was i thought it was really interesting and I think that's a part of just giving, getting anxiety because it's as if hitting a baseball isn't hard enough, not having that rhythm and not just being, you know, just kind of thrown into the fire. But as you said, you know, we get paid a lot of money. We're elite professionals to do this. And the statistics have shown showed themselves to be in the favor of the rule, like you said, in the minor leagues. And it's important to note that the first month or I think the first two two to three weeks there was two infractions for every every game for the first two to three weeks and eventually that started to get phased out of as more and more guys got got used to the rule it got phased out but getting that that initial period was really difficult for everybody both on the hitters and the pitchers and so it's one thing if you could get the minor league minor leaguers to get on to get on board with it to get adjusted to it then surely these guys will get adjusted to it as well and so where we're talking about that first two weeks, well, we have six weeks of spring training. So, I mean, there's um, there's significant time and an allotted amount of time where everybody will be adjusted by by the time opening day comes. Yeah. And it's it's again, it's it's the kind of thing too. like I, I read some an article today, 46 percent of guys that are on 40 man rosters right now have, have been exposed to the, the pitch clock in the minor leagues the last couple of years. So it's not exactly like, okay, everybody in the big leagues has never done it. Right. I mean, I think that the the ones in questions are going to be the veteran guys that are used to doing their deal the way that they do it. And now they're going to have an umpire and there's a, there's a huge wave of younger umpires as well. And so there's going to be, there's going to be that dynamic with, you know, the older, more established guys that are accustomed to doing it a certain way that, you know, it, it'll work itself out, but it's going to be, it's going to be fun to watch because we're going to have some, some famous rich guys that are getting upset about having somebody tell them to get in the box when they're not ready to do it. But oh, 100%. I, 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 I still think it's going to work itself out pretty, pretty quickly. But, and, and you know, the other dynamic is an older umpire, right? A veteran guy, take like a, you know, Angel Hernandez, CB Buckner type umpire with a rookie uh, player, you know, what, what's that, what's that interaction going to be like? Cause you and I both know how, you know, on the flip side, those veteran umpires are accustomed to some things too. And, you know, it'll, it'll just be, it'll be exciting to, to watch. And I, I'm sure there's going to be some, some ruffled feathers to, to start. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think that was more that nothing could have been more evident than right off the bat, you know, a guy of Manny Machado stature, just going straight up. Oh, one. And I think at, at some point, and I'm, I could be mistaken, but he said that, that, you know, there's, I can see that there's going to be a number of Oh, one call Oh, one, uh, situations happening where just you know simply not ready but 
a guy, you know, a guy like him, it's not going to matter. So, you know, him <clears throat> having to break out no matter what his stature and what his, you know, what his level and, uh, you know, superstardom is going to be like, he's going to have to, he's going to have to figure out, figure it out as well. And, you know, first AB of spring training going Oh one and not even having, you know, this, the concern over this, this eight second rule, uh, pretty, pretty much tells you everywhere, you know, everything we need to know about where, where some of these guys are starting and where, where we're going to have to, where we're going to have to get to. So, like I said, one of the most interesting storylines there now moving on to shift restrictions, which I was also really pleased to see, um, yesterday, young Darren Baker getting his first knock in spring training and much to my surprise going the other way, which of course, isn't like a, you know, isn't a, an archaic uh, scenario. I think, uh, you know, we've, we've gotten so used of guys pulling the ball into the shift, but Darren going the other way. But what surprised me most is that there was an actual shortstop actually playing in his position and to have this six hole um, kind of, you know, exploited to see something squeak through and not just kind of have this, you know, this blaring gap in, you know, gaping hole on the left, the left side of the infield. You know, it was uh, it, it was fun to see. So, you know, shout out to young Darren Baker for getting his first hit. You know, we obviously, Paul, we go we go way back to, you know, Darren, Darren being a, a young kid, nine and 10 years old running around. And if you want to feel old, which we definitely do uh, this Monday, which we usually do, because I'm sure, you know, between Paul and I, something comes up on a daily basis that makes us feel pretty old, you know, <laughs> like the highlights in the in the background. 2012 is you know that's a decade but seeing young darren baker out there um you know running around and stealing a base on at, um, at the you know run stealing a base as well brings us to the next point where you're talking about gamemanship and bringing back the effective effectiveness of players like that guys who can run we're back you know the the advantage is shifting back to guys that can run to utilize and exploit the running game to where you know i think we might be looking at a possible NFL scenario where you might be like a, you know, a defensive tackle or, or, um, or a middle linebacker who is be able to time that clock. So if you're down in that five second, three, two, one, and you're blitzing, you can essentially look at that play clock and time it. I don't think I would have to imagine that that scenario might come into play for base runners as well. As you see that clock jumping, you're going to have to know that your engagements or his disengagements have already been used up. And right at that one second mark, you're you know that you're going. So I think that's going to be another really interesting uh, storyline as far as the uh, the pitch clock and the in the base running. Yeah, for sure. And shout out to Darren's obviously Dusty Baker's son, and that's what Chris is referring to. We had the opportunity to be around him when he was young, and I'm in college baseball right now. So Darren obviously played at Cal and had a had a pretty successful college career as well. So yeah, hopefully he does well. But um, going to the to the shift restrictions is. I love it. I think it, it will bring back a, an element into the game of super dynamic, you know, athletic, you know, middle infielders, but also the the putting the priority again on, on the ability to defend in the middle of the field as a whole. Right. And I know you as a left-handed hitter got to be fired up about it. Cause it, I would argue that the, the left-handed hitter was the one most affected by the shift and putting three people on, on the right side of the field, but it'll, it, it'll, it'll, I I like it. I think it's going to, it's going to be a little bit of a different adjustment kind of to your point, you know, the initial shift when it started happening kind of at the beginning of our careers, you know, there was a lot of situations where 
that ball that you're referring to, whether it was a left-handed hitter hitting it to the six hole or a right-handed hitter, hitter hitting it to the four hole, you know, the ball get, gets hit to a place where, you know, pitchers were used to guys being there and then there was nobody there. Right. So that was an initial deal. Now we're going to flip back the other way, but overall I, I like it. I think from an integrity of the game standpoint, it, 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 it provides the, you know, the, from a defensive perspective, the, the type of, like the way the game was supposed to be played, so to speak. Um, so I'm excited to see how that goes. But with regards to the base running, there's no doubt, man. It, it, again, it's going to become a, an offensive tool again, I think. And the, the, it's interesting that you bring up the point of kind of time in the clock because that's going to be a real thing. Those There's three or four of those clocks all over the field that are visible, you know, to the players. And it, it's 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 going to present itself. It, it just is. And in addition to that, I saw I was watching the Blue Jays game yesterday and you know, the Romano, their closer, they picked a guy off second base. And I would be curious to know when the last time he even ran a pickoff was. But um, right. I, I think I think it's going to create those things where the pickoff may not just be used as a pickoff. It, it, you can even use it in, you know, if you've already used your resets or your disengagements as a way to, you know, reset the clock, so to speak, right? But I'm just interested to see how that goes. But I, I love the, the re the the prioritizing the athleticism the guys that can really run and, and kind of change the game in that way because that's that's something that you know in some ways has kind of kind of been lost in the game yeah 100 percent and as a as a base runner you know from myself i was you know i was always a guy with the green light and so looking at the looking at the clock god that's got to make it so so easy if you are a base stealer there is no there's no second guessing whether you should go or not it's like you have you have that extra that extra advantage where okay one second i know exactly when i'm going where i'm going when i'm going why i'm going and it takes that that second hand that doubt out of your mind where it's like all right i'm off to the races with that once that thing hits one set one second you know we're going to be looking for him to make a move there's not going to be there's no holding the ball anymore once you get to that set position, there's no long hold. There's no two, three looks. If he's behind, you're coming down. He's set. He's doing his two looks. He's going to have to make a decision if, you're, if he's coming over or not. So we're doing away with the with the the excess pickoffs, uh, the two, three, four pickoffs. It's, hey, that's two. All right, well, he didn't get me. One, two, one, off to the races. Here we go. And, you know, that's the type of action that – you know, I'm looking forward to, to, to bringing back. So to bring back to the, the actual definition for everybody, the shift restrictions, the defensive team must have a minimum of four players on the infield with at least two infielders completely on either side of second base. These restrictions are intended to increase the batting average on balls in play and allow infielders to better showcase their athleticism with great defensive plays. Potentially. We, uh, <laughs> we'll see. I think, you know, I, I, athleticism i think that everybody is 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 incredibly athletic i don't think there's any doubt of of that but as far as you know we still got to put the ball in the play at the end at the end of the day the ball still has to be put in the play but when it does you know we're, we're taking that we're taking that part out of it like okay we're gonna move everybody but we're still dealing with uh you know we're, we're in this 2023 where you know between walks and strikeout ratio and the just from batted balls being put into play there's no rule that's going to fix that. That's that's a whole other can of worms that we'll probably get into at some point, especially with Paul being here and having a unique insight to what is what the college athlete, where the college game is at right now, where the youth sports space and what these kids are learning coming up as far as like swing mechanics. And we'll get to that eventually. But that's also another thing to note is you can put people wherever you want to, but you still have to make contact 
And me personally, looking at some of these guys throwing, I do not know how that's possible. Uh, talking to Trevor Plouffe a couple weeks ago, and he said, I'm just, I'm so glad I'm not in the game right now because it, and I don't blame him. You look at these guys that are throwing. To give you perspective to, let's say, 2009, our 2008, 2009, our rookie year, there may have been one, two, or three guys throwing 100 miles per hour in the league. We have starters on a regular basis these days throwing 197 to 100 miles per hour. And it's just, uh, you know, with 92 mile per hour sl sliders, uh, you know, you got Sandy Alcantara who's throwing 94 mile per hour changeups. It's it's tough to hit. Um, so putting the ball in the play, we'll see what happens. Um, yeah, but thank but thank goodness. It's so it's easier to, for me to watch on TV. And then even on TV, I'm like, I don't I don't even understand how these guys are doing this. Um, Paul, I don't, yeah, I don't know if you feel the same way. <laughs> yeah, if if we could get a restriction on velocity, that that, that would help. Um, but to your point there, it's not so much the fact that there wasn't as many guys throwing 100. I'd be curious to know. We need to we need to check tape on this, Dickie. But you know, just the average fastball velocity in, in baseball right now, right? Like it's that's my deal. It's it's the prevalence. It's like there's no let up, man. And you know, the way that starting pitchers are used versus the bullpens now versus you know 10 to 15 years ago is different. You know, there's just there's 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 more you know guys that have specific roles and. The bullpens are just deeper, you know. The, the the old adage of like, "Hey, let's get into that bullpen. Let's get the starter out and get in that bullpen." Yeah. Is like you don't want to get in the bullpen. No, you dude, want, that's for you the want birds. No part you want no part of the bullpen, and that's what's funny about this. Uh, the WBC coming up, you want no part of that bullpen. Zero part. You want to get through the starters, get through Johnny, you know, get through Equato, who's you know who's you know just going to kind of pitch you to death, ninety two, ninety three, with his funky shimmies. But you want no part of that bullpen because those are the elite closers in the game and everybody coming out of that bullpen throws absolute fuel and not just from a right-hand perspective, but you have guys lefties that we've just never seen besides the likes of, of, of a Billy Wagner who are throwing 96, 97 plus it's just, it's, it's a completely different, it's a completely different game um, these days. And it's just, it, 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 it boggles my mind and, you know, from these guys throwing these just absolute just wipe out sliders, change up splits. It's 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 impressive to see where the game is. And I think it's a lot of it has to do with obviously modern modern technology and the way that guys are preparing uh, where these throwing pro these modern throwing programs are at. Uh, it's 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 pretty it's pretty special to witness. But like you said, you, you want you don't want to get in that bullpen. No, no. There, there's a lot of variables to the the prevalence of velocity. To your point, like guys are bigger and stronger and faster, and you know from a younger age doing more specific training relative to to, to baseball and throwing specifically. But um, it's it, it, but it is it it's, it's exciting to watch. You know, there's there's nothing like watching the game on TV and seeing the flames come up because there's triple digits going up again. You know, so from a fan's perspective, it's great. And you know, baseball is doing the right thing. They're trying to spread the defense out, and maybe give give the hitters a fighting chance. <laughs> right. Um, and I won't get into the, to the numbers, but an interesting thing, uh, was that winter meetings a couple years ago and there was these kids and I call them the backpack kids at winter meetings because it's all these kids from around the country from, you know, the best and the brightest. And a lot of them are, well, quote unquote team managers, which basically means that they're the, you know, the uh, statisticians or analysts on the team. And so you have these kids with their, you know, their Harvard backpacks, their, you know, even, you know, some, some rice kids, Harvard, sure. Um, uh, you, 
Massachusetts Amherst is a big baseball school. It's, I think there's been a number of GMs that come out of there. So as far as mm-hmm. these analytic programs, they're coming out, you have a lot of these kids that are pursuing um, degrees in analytics, hoping to get into baseball. And so I particularly remember this one group that was sitting at a Starbucks and they were putting together a model that would basically reconfigure free agency based around what their batting average would have been if there was no shift. And so mm-hmm. they had this program that basically reconstructed all the balls hit on a sp- on the spray chart. And if there was no based on their uh, based on velocity and uh, contact quality right. would then be reverted to a hit. And so basically re- being able to go in and saying, Hey, instead of hitting 265 without the shift, he would have intentionally hit 275, 280, which put him in another category of free agent of free in the, in the market. Yeah. I thought right. that I thought that was fa- I thought that was really fascinating yeah. if they could pull it off. So this is going to be really interesting to see who benefits and who can who can recover some you know really recoup some of these hits with uh, with with this with this shift back and going back to a traditional style of, of infield. Yeah, that's some forward thinking stuff. Are you sure it wasn't a rice backpack? I, I got to believe. I'm, that I'm definitely, I'm definitely sure. I know a rice backpack when I see. It. I just the person. I just don't think you know the rice kids are capable of coming up with such a complex and innovative system. I'd, I'd put them up against anybody, bud. Okay, just just telling you. <laughs> uh, hit me with the bigger bases. How how, how are the bigger bases going to affect the game? Uh, you know, I think you know. I actually have to go to the bathroom. I don't know what the bath. What's the bathroom? Uh, What's the bathroom protocol fine. in here? We got like seven, eight, eight more minutes, bud. You'll be fine. I don't know. It's coming on pretty strong. I had that coffee and it kind of, you know, breaks things up, becomes a, becomes, breaks things open mm-hmm. for me a little bit. So um, I might have to take the, I might have to take the break, but you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to gut it out. I'm going to gut it go. out. We're going to, we're going to get on to, to bigger bases here. So the bigger bases, third change this year, first, second, and third have been expanded from 15 inches on each side, 18 inches on each side, while home plate remains unchanged. The primary reason why the bases are bigger is safety, giving fielders and runners more room to operate without colliding. But the slightly decreased distance between bases could help runners on stolen base attempts and bang bang plays. Yes. That's, you know, we'll see what happens with that. I think we're getting down to the nitty gritty as far as like the geometrics of, of the game in itself, you know, who knows, but we're talking about three additional inches. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't, but the main point here is this is a safety concern. And I think for, for this particular thing is big for both of us because both of us have suffered from instances where potentially a bigger base could have saved us, but uh, not just minor injuries, severe injuries. Paul, 2004, Dayton, Ohio, or 2005, I'm sorry. I was in Dayton in 2000, in 2004, in which I did have a scenario. I did have a scenario sliding head first, sealing a base. And that focus of being able to go to the outside of the base, I ended up hitting the defend the shortstop's arm and bent my arm very similar to what happened to you in 2005. So, I had this instance where I ended up partially tearing my UCL diving head first, in which it probably would have been a scenario where I would have had more base to, to see, um, sure. for, for my, my stolen base attempt, who knows 2005, you're running down to first base. You collide with the first baseman. You yeah. end up actually tearing your, your UCL and haven't have Tommy John. 
not as it is not a easy recovery by any means that put you out for a closer year in which you're having in a, a really decent year going into that into mm-hmm. that Dayton year. So looking at both of that, you know, from a safety from a safety standard, I'm I'm completely open to it. I I fully understand it in in increasing the space in which we operate. And and then going to 2009, I had a scenario where it was a three two count, and I was thinking about going quick pick over, kind of startled a little bit, but I was aiming for the back part the back part of the bag. But the particular throw was the outside part, kind of creating the situation where I had to use kind of an abnormal an abnormal uh, gesture to go for another part of the base. And I ended up coming it short, flipping my ankle over. It was one of the, one of the looking back at the video, one of the worst things that that I've seen because the center field camera, you could see the bottom of my cleat from behind me, which, which is pretty disturbing the more I talk about it, but that pain, that, that severe, severely sprained ankle uh, put me out for almost six weeks at a at a at a pretty particular time where I did not need to be missing time. Um, right. It was at you know it was definitely at a time where I was I was on the up and up and I was finally kind of getting into the swing of things and getting missing that six months of time. It's no different than you is taking that time out when you're when you're at you're really getting into your game. You're feeling good at the plate and to miss that amount of time. But yours was was you know I wouldn't say it's catastrophic, but it definitely what it's it was a it was a big deal for you that might have yeah, been no, avoided it, it, at the end of the day yeah the, we we both had circumstances that you just mentioned but at the end of the day it's for the safety aspect i, I don't i'm curious three inches is a big deal don't get me wrong it, it is it can be at times especially with the implementation of replay now you know every every inch count so to speak I, you know i think more about to your point about the stolen base to second or third and, and on tag plays in particular, you know, I think that the interaction at first is going to be pretty, pretty uh, uneventful relative to collisions. I think it'll help with collisions. Um, you know, the bang, bang play at first on like a slow roller type, type thing. It, it's going to present itself, you know, a handful of times over the course of the year. I don't think that's going to be huge. I think the, the, the interaction at second base, you know, is going to, is going to play a larger role, whether that's a force play or, you know, a stolen base situation or whatever the case is, even a double play, you know, and, and being in contact with the bag, I think that's going to help the infielders, right? There's, there's more base to be touching. Um, all that being said, I, I think this one relative to some of the other changes kind of goes unnoticed. I don't think it's a big deal. As big of a deal is probably a better way to say it. I will say one of the funnier things I saw or heard rather was, you know, players referencing what the new bases look like. And it was, uh, it looks like there's a pizza box on the field. Yeah. Um, because if if we could get a, an actual photo, it is a significant difference. You know, fifteen to eighteen inches doesn't sound like a big deal, but it's if if you ha- if you get a picture of the two bases next to each other, it's it's a fairly significant. Um, right. It's a circ- yeah. It's a circumference. You're not just talking about. We're not talking about like a softball base where you have. If you've ever seen uh, those uh, the, those park bases where you have like the safety base on the out outside, it's not extending right. just a couple inches on one side for more. It's the circumference. And so you're talking about a square here, but that three inches expanded, it becomes a pretty significant, it, a very significant in, increase. And, yeah. you know, I think you guys are getting the benefit of the doubt it, as middle infielders with all the rules that have been put on, especially, again, having a scenario like the, the uh, I believe it was the 2015 or 2016 uh, National League Championship Series with the Dodgers and the Mets, the Chase Utley scenario, where sliding past mm-hmm. the bag and breaking uh, breaking the leg of, of, of the shortstop. 
And so let's keep things in, you know, confined into the base, no going outside, no hook slides, but having, you know, a way to at least where you're making contact. Yeah, that will potentially be easier. But again, going back now, you guys have where you guys would have benefited of not being able to go past the bag, having a bigger base to where you guys can now utilize that extra space in the bag to shield yourselves from that, from that breaking up of the double play. Yeah, it's, it certainly is sure. in favor. And it, again, it, there's an, uh, it's another level added to what attend, what essentially could be a, a, a increased safety protocol. For sure. For sure. Yeah. I, I think that one is going to be pretty easy. I think that one relative to the other ones goes fairly unnoticed, but we'll see. So taking to, to the 2005, just, just walk me through exactly what happened. Cause you know, 15 years later, I'm not even sure. I think we just kind of hear, you know, up, up the pipeline. It's like Paul, you know, ran into the, there was in what I, what I imagine in my head, ball comes up the line is, you know, ball kind of thrown up the line. First baseman reaches out, your arm gets tangled. Yeah. So here's the scenario. If you can believe this out in front on an off speed pitch, hit the ball off the end of the bat, you know, jailbreak, run into first base, bad throw from an infielder, you know, throwing on the run, the first baseman's, you know, essentially jumping slash reaching for the ball that takes him into the line a little bit. We run into each other. There's nowhere to go. I, I fall, put my arm down and pop, you know, it, 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 the UCL just clean tear, total freak accident. Um, but, and to your point, like if there's, if there's more base for both of us to share, you know, it, it's, it's very feasible to, to, to think that he would not have had to, you know, come into the line and or which probably more likely is I would have had more base to reach for and not had to run into him potentially. But th- those types of plays are, there's just, they, they happen so fast, right? And there's nowhere to go. Uh, I think it's the kind of thing that from a safety issue, there's, there's, it, it's going to help to what extent it's hard to say. I mean, if that throw takes the first baseman into the line to a point to where there's still nowhere to go, we're still going to run into each other. Right. But like we both know it's a game of inches, so it, it's going to help. I mean, it's, it's 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 going to provide a safer play. The other thing I think about is the plays where you much more so than myself, I, but would feasibly slide, slide head first into first base and and trying to evade a tag on a similar type play where the throw pulls the first baseman off and he's trying to do the swipe tag and the player goes you know goes low and and turns into a head first slide into first. So those kind of plays is what it's gonna it's gonna help with. Yeah, and the 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 cleaning at first base too, where you have to, you know, first baseman have to dig a ball, dig a ball, and just like the way the footwork is set, you're not going to at least be completely centered up on the bag. You might have to shift to do a back, you know, backhand pick, but maybe your your foot is too much on the base, and having that extra three inches off to the side of the bag, you're going to avoid having to step on, you know, step on that 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 first baseman's foot, or or vice versa and you see a lot of that where feet get feet get tangled uh guys get spiked from you know from having from having these interactions and just simply not having enough of base and that again can lead to rolled ankles but you know nobody likes getting spiked and we've seen that you know going back to manny and that's one of the things where manny had plenty of plenty of room there on on that one play where uh manny uh when his first year in the dodgers where he ultimately started the, the bad rap of being mm-hmm. a dirty player and you know purposely stepping on the foot when there was there was enough base there but now you know putting in this there should be absolutely no excuse for 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 shit like that anymore so sure. those are our three this this uh those are our three so 
you know, we got five weeks left. It'll be, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to how, how they adjust. And, you know, just from a day-to-day basis, I think uh, that's what excites me most is we're, you know, these guys are elite athletes who can make adjustments uh, from a bat to a bat. And so as we move forward with games, and I'm curious to see how we pan, the, pan these out. And I'm sure by week two, we're going to break down the numbers and we're going to talk about all the infractions. And hopefully by week four and five, where everybody's getting you know squared away to go, we got night games coming in. Game Guys are getting into real game action, ready for opening day, that everybody will be uh, you know comfortable uh, with these new yeah. rule changes. So moving on, we're going to lighten it up a little bit. We're going to talk about top five baseball movies of all time. We're going to run through these really quick and I'm going to start this off and Paul with you, Paul, and for everybody watching on our, the YouTube channel, please drop your top five baseball movies into the comments. Cause I personally, after the first show, I see you guys commenting in there. I appreciate all the Paul Yonish fans uh, out there and the compliments <laughs> on, on the last show. Uh, Paul is apparently a, a Reds legend. Uh, yeah. Number one hold, in everyone's hold heart. Your breath. <laughs> number seven, number seven on the field, number one in everybody's hearts. Uh, mm-hmm. So, Paul, yeah, let's start off with you, so you can take your fan club legion of YouTube and uh, and 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 see what everybody loves. Yeah, yeah, I don't know exactly how big that snowball of a fan club is, but but um, I'll start off the movies. I'm I'm a big Bull Durham fan. Going back in the day, I will say one of my cooler minor league uh, stories slash anecdotes is uh, hitting a homer off of the bull. In, in Durham on, on my minor league tenure. So that was kind of fun. But Bull Durham is a pretty classic. Um, a close second for me is Field of Dreams. Big oh. fan, just a oldie but goodie. Uh, and then to lighten it up and kind of with, with you know, I have a 11 and 9-year-old right now. And so the Sandlot and the Rookie of the Year are two big ones at our house too. So Classics. those are uh, – uh, it's just tough to beat, man. Tough to beat. What do you got? Give, give me some of yours. Yeah, I'm, think sure I'm, I'm, I'm right on. I'm right on with you. So, I mean, you, I think you went through four. I'm going to throw in, um, I'm going to throw in five. I'm going to throw in the, I'm throwing once again, another Kevin Costner baseball movie. Uh, you know, not just Bull Durham, uh, but for the love of the game, I feel like, I feel like that's a great baseball movie. The baseball terror, John C. Riley is a terrible baseball player. Um, and this is why I give so much credit to rookie of the year because if you actually go and look at the cast of characters from rookie of the year they all played basically like minor league baseball a lot of them uh do you remember leon bull leon bull durham who was the was the first baseman in that movie was the triple a hitting coach in toledo and so having that 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 i wouldn't say let's not say elite but as far as baseball goes it's a lot better than um you know you know, rookie of the year and having Henry Rodengardner throw, you know, throw the way that he did, but there was some legit baseball action and just seeing, uh, having guys like Randy Johnson, uh, Carlos Baerga, uh, Ken Griffey Jr. Make cameos in the field makes that, uh, movie for me, everything. And, uh, for the love of the game, I think that's just really interesting is seeing somebody at, at so great, more just front kind of like from the mental side as you start dwindling down in the career just you know what the what your lifestyle and where you're at as, as far as a player and a person i find is really interesting i think we look too much at it as like what the baseball action was uh but i definitely put that in my in my top five and i'll probably even sneak in major league oh yeah Dude, I don't even think it has to be snuck in i don't even think it has to be no. snuck in. i think that's a bona fide top bona fide top five so yeah. Sandlot, 
Bull Durham, uh, Field for of the dreams. love of the game, Field of Dreams, app, 100%, and, and, Major uh, and Major League. Major League 1 and 2. 3 we can throw out the window. 3 doesn't even exist to me when they go back yeah back to the minors but one and two absolute all-time classics it's hard to argue hard to argue it's a good list i I look forward to hearing what some of the uh the the comments are and some of the other movies that people people appreciate so do just that go visit us on uh if you want to watch the full the full version on uh, the youtube version go check us out go subscribe to believe check us leave your com your favorite favorite movies uh in the comments but even Moving forward, please let us know in the comments what you like to what you like to see us cover. If you guys have any comments, questions, we'll be happy to answer them. We want this to be a place where we want to, you know, open kind of it up. I often think about this podcast as like the old radio shows where you could call in and be like, "Yeah, this is ninety-seven point eight, and we're taking the top five calls at five and having people call in." We'll try to do our best. We don't have an open line here because our, our the show is delayed. But please leave your comments, your comment, your comments, your concerns in the comments. We'll try to do our best to uh, to bring them up on the next call. If you're on the podcast, go give us a like and a sub- subscribe. We'll be back next week. Where technically I would have dropped this like I did last week. What we have on top for top for next week, but I have. Ah, or minor we'll see. league wage hey, thing. We'll, we'll get into that a little bit. We're gonna be yeah. we're gonna be a po- podcast for the people, man. We'll see what the comments say, and we'll give them give That's the people right. what they want. Hundred percent. You're you're completely right. I apologize <laughs> that that is contradictory on my part. I can't have you guys going in the comments telling me what you want to hear and already have a a pre laid out topic list for next week. But in oh, case man. you were interested, people. We're going to be talking about minor league baseball and the the class action lawsuit and how that's going to kind of change the the landscape of uh, of minor league baseball from two individuals who spent far more time in the minor leagues than we'd ever liked uh, getting that uh, seeing what that's all about. So everybody, again, thanks for listening. I'm Chris Sigerson, Paul Yanish. We will see you next week. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube you know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks that's what our podcast people are the worst brings you with each episode i'm rachel And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.